whether it is acceptable to recognize and celebrate the holy days of other religions with those believers. What's she going to do then? Well, that's what I've been sitting here contemplating. First, I'm going to deliver this case to Marcellus. Then, basically, I'm just going to walk the earth. What you mean, walk the earth? You know, like Cain in Kung Fu. Walk from place to place, meet people, get in adventures. And how long do you intend to walk the earth? Till God puts me where he wants me to be. And what if you don't do that? If it takes forever, then I'll walk forever. Welcome to Walk the Earth. I'm Greg. 2015 was an interesting year when it came to uh, intersectionality between religious beliefs, particularly within theism, including some very encouraging signs, and by the end of the year, some very discouraging signs. And this might actually be a question that I hit twice during the next upcoming months, not back-to-back, but later this year I wouldn't be surprised if I'm answering in some ways the same question or a very similar question again. And I'll get into the reason why here right at the start of this Walk the Earth. But first off, 2015, just to kind of put out there uh, the positive and the negative behind this notion of whether it's acceptable to recognize, acknowledge, even participate in the ceremonies of people who have very different religious beliefs. It was during the upcoming Lent season, about a year ago, when I first began seeing stories about American Muslims in a showing of solidarity with Christians planning to celebrate Lent in a very traditional, uh, you might say Catholic way, with the notion of giving something up for Lent and going through that period of submission to discipline. Now, in some ways, this kind of makes sense because Islam as a faith uh, within the realm of theism is probably the most committed to the notion of being submitted to a particular discipline. It has its orthodoxy, I suppose, much like there's an orthodox element within Judaism that is very interested in following laws and practicing discipline. And there's a fundamentalist strain within Christianity that has the same sort of commitment to discipline. And then later in the year, in a similar uh, outreach, I guess you'd say, there were Christians who were offering to participate in the fasting ritual of Ramadan during the same period of time. Again, a show of solidarity, an olive branch reaching across the aisle between two religious faiths. None of this struck me as even remotely unusual. And when I answer the question today here on Walk the Earth, I'll talk a little bit about why from my own personal experience. But I'm not prepared at this point to talk about whether I would, in my own walk, choose to participate in a fasting ritual like Ramadan, and if I would do so at the same time as Muslim neighbors, for want of a better word. I say that, having perhaps the drawback in this case, of not actually having anybody that I'm aware of near to me in my neighborhood who is participating as a faith-practicing Muslim. It would be a different thing, in other words, to be doing it silently and on your own, as opposed to what I think I was reading about on the internet, where people who actually lived in relative close proximity to people who had, let's be honest, over the past 14, 15 years, become the targeted victim of a great deal of of anger, if not verbal violence, because of their faith. One of the things I think we know, and we don't talk about it as often as maybe we should, because I don't think the wounds have healed. Whatever happened in uh, September 11th, 2001, has had a very negative impact, 
And it shows up when you find people having an irrational response, I would say, to Islam as a religion and to particular Muslim believers, Muslim believers who, uh, in many cases, were born here in America and were just as horrified by what happened on 9-11 as everybody else. We've seen this, of course, loud and clear here in the aftermath of the attacks that were coordinated, allegedly coordinated by ISIS in Paris in the month of November and an attack in San Bernardino, California in the month of December, and how the backlash against that has also created a new wave of violence against Muslim Americans at the hands of people, many of whom would claim to be devout, faithful, practicing, evangelical American Christians. So the question that would seem very straightforward early in the year about whether or not it, it's acceptable or okay, or even perhaps a good idea for people to be witnessing or in some way participating as observers in the religious practices of others. Is it okay, for example, for a Christian person to attend the bar mitzvah or bat mitzvah of a Jewish family friend? To me, that's obviously okay. But I, I wonder now, in the climate here in January of 2016, if that feels as obvious as it used to feel. And part of the reason that I say that is because in the first couple of weeks of December, and part of this is, again, the backlash related to specific violent events in California and in, and in France. And part of it is due to the rhetoric of the political candidates as the year 2015 began the ramping up for what is surely to be, in my opinion, a painful 2016 election season. It could actually be one of the more embarrassing moments in American history if it plays out along the trajectory that it appears to be going. So, ignoring the politics, at least somewhat for now, and not wanting to dive headfirst into what does it mean to give up something for Lent, and what would it mean to give up something for Ramadan, and what would it mean if two people who knew each other, casually or otherwise, one Christian, one Muslim, chose, in solidarity with each other personally, to share those events with each other, would that be problematic? That's the part I might come back to in a future Walk the Earth. Because one of the things I want to do with Walk the Earth is, is manage the time and manage the scope of the questions carefully. But I also try, month to month, to honor the question that I queued up at the end of the previous show. So, the previous episode was recorded in early December and released in the second week of December, uh, or maybe the early part of the third week. And at the time that it was recorded, I wasn't aware of anything going on in Wheaton College regarding a professor, a Christian professor, a professing Orthodox, in my opinion, Christian professor, who now has, at the time I'm doing this recording today, her career in severe jeopardy. She has not yet been fired from Wheaton College, one of the most prestigious evangelical colleges in the country, but it seems inevitable that she will, unless something very drastic changes. And what does that, of course, have to do with the question? Well, the two things that I'll say is that first, I draft a lot of these Walk the Earth questions months and months in advance. And so it won't be at all unusual for me to have worked my way and thought my way through some of the answers to the questions for a great deal of time before I actually get to the point of making a recording. And this is one of them where just by happenstance, I was trying to look back at the year that was closing and ask myself how I felt about this ecumenical outreach, the sharing of rituals, for want of a better word, when the question itself has been derailed now by a much more fundamental question, 
And to me, if I'd gotten the chance to reword the question and focus it differently, I might have done so. And maybe the question that I really want to answer today is different than the one that I queued up in December. Maybe the question is whether it's appropriate for theists to believe that there is more than one God. And I think, you know, for now, that's the question I'll answer. And maybe if I come along later on, say in the month of June, uh, look at uh, my Lent experience this year and how it lines up with Ramadan being on the verge of beginning, or perhaps even in April, uh, that, that line of distinction between celebrations of Jewish Passover versus celebrations of Holy Week in Christianity. There are many opportunities ahead, in other words, to talk about the notion of shared ritual. But instead, what I'll do is talk a little bit about what I'm going to call interfaith ministry, and then perhaps answer the question. Seems a very basic question to me, but a question that a lot of evangelical Christians have gotten horribly wrong here in the last month. How many gods are there? And is it appropriate for Christians to act as if there is more than one? All of this for me is coming from the question of outreach. What do we mean by outreach? What is it? What is it not? And that's part of the reason that I don't necessarily want to hit this particular topic of what I would call parachurch or interfaith ministry two months in a row, because I really do want to stop and talk about the whole concept of evangelical outreach. And that probably will be the focus of February's question on Walk the Earth, if all goes well. You see, all of this has been inspired by events that have just occurred in the last month, coming through Wheaton College. And I guess the best way for me to handle it is to refer to two blog posts that have appeared on patheos.com, one last month, one this month, both pinned by the blogger Benjamin L. Corey, co-host of the podcast That God Show, which is one of the podcasts that I listen to on a regular basis, or I would be listening to it if it hadn't been in what I hope is a temporary pod fade right now. Let me start with this December 17th article, which would have been within just a few days of the events that he describes, beginning at the beginning of his blog post at patheos.com slash blog slash formerly fundy, headlined, Yes, Christians and Muslims worship the same God, but here's what that means and here's what that doesn't mean. The article. Wheaton College is stirring up an old debate this week that's worth revisiting. Professor Larisha Hawkins, in an effort to show solidarity with Muslims, decided to wear a hijab during Advent. While wearing the hijab may have been tolerated by the school, what she said about the relationship between Islam and Christianity was not. She wrote, quote, I stand in religious solidarity with Muslims because they, like me, a Christian, are people of the book. And as Pope Francis stated last week, we worship the same God. For the crime of saying we worship the same God, Hawkins was suspended from the school. Once news of this broke, the evangelical machine, as Corey calls it, went into overdrive to celebrate the decision. I won't go into the rest of the background. It's enough to know that this has ultimately led now to the process of terminating her, a tenured professor, being kicked into fairly high gear. It's interesting to note that this, uh, again, Protestant institution, Wheaton College, this evangelical university, is also either standing directly in opposition with the Pope, the leader of the Roman Catholic denomination, or perhaps accusing her without coming out and saying it, of misquoting the Pope. They haven't gone in that direction. They are, I guess I would say, probably indifferent to the opinion of the Pope or the position taken by Roman Catholicism. But 
It is nevertheless true that in condemning um, Dr. Hawkins, they're also you know, condemning the point of view expressed by the Pope. For me, what's a little bit more interesting here is the core underlying presumptions. And I'm going to tie it into a couple of things. First, uh, maybe the last couple of Walk the Earth episodes, especially the one in November, I introduced an idea of unconditional positive regard, that I would not take uh, decisive, harsh action against somebody unless it was really my only recourse. If there was a way of us even coming to the point of agreeing to disagree about things which may not be absolutely essential from a faith perspective, that's what I would do. And that may be on some level what the university chose to do. They asked in these intervening weeks between the first article written by Corey on December the 17th or so, and a second article that he wrote on January 7th here very recently, they asked her to reaffirm or clarify her position via the university's statement of faith. And in response to that, she re, uh, she replied with a lengthy three or four page uh, personal statement of faith that was a response. As Corey says in the article he wrote recently, when asked for clarification of her views in comparison to Wheaton's statement of faith, Dr. Hawkins has consistently complied in great detail, fully affirming Wheaton's entire statement of faith. I've read her personal statement of faith myself, Corey says, and it's not some liberal manifesto. It's solidly evangelical. I could see how her statement of faith would put her at odds with liberal colleges, but evangelical ones? Absolutely not. In other words, the sole point of difference of opinion here is whether or not it's appropriate for a Christian professor at a Christian university to say that Christians and Muslims worship the same God, both being people of the book. Well, in these two blog posts, the one from December, the one on January 7th, and even some links within those blog posts, Corey goes into some detail about his point of view. And I'm not going to disagree with it, but I'm going to offer a different opinion. Consider it a concurring opinion, because there really isn't any reason for this to be a point of view about which there's any division within the church. On some level, I think I would suggest that I don't really care whether or not Dr. Hawkins is right or wrong on this question. As a Christian, I believe in my relationship with Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ's relationship with what we all call God and the role the Holy Spirit plays in the midst of all that and whether my Trinitarian worldview differs from the views within Judaism or the views within Islam really doesn't make any difference to my personal faith and therefore for me, it's a secondary issue. But what Corey does is walks through the the facts which aren't kind of in question. Everyone, I guess, in this conversation, even at the highest levels of Wheaton College, are willing to stipulate that certain things are true. That if you accept the account in the Torah, and if you accept that the first five books, especially the first couple books of the Old Testament, belong in the canon of the Christian Bible, then you accept the idea that the God of Abraham is the God of Moses and the God of Jesus, and according to everyone in Islam, the God of Muhammad. And the clear point of delineation between Judaism and what would later become Islam is right there in the book of Genesis. So clearly, it, it's above all, I think, an unquestioned statement of fact that Muslims believe they are worshiping the same God who is God of the Jews and God of the Christians. Therefore, we're really talking about 
a difference in whether or not we're willing to tolerate someone else's belief or not. And I think that's kind of where Corey takes it with his conversation in a follow-up article that he posted called The Real Reason Wheaton College is Terminating Larisha Hawkins, Loving the Common Enemy. In other words, he says that modern evangelical Christianity has now devolved to such a point where it can only function, it can only understand who it is, it only has an identity in relation to some sort of enemy, whether that enemy be um, abortion-performing doctors, or whether that enemy be gays and lesbians, or their family members who love them and choose not to shun them, or whether it be people of different faiths like Muslims. Eventually, this is going to devolve to the point where some people within uh, a, a strongly held evangelical Christian identity will shun people of other evangelical Protestant denominations, because it'll get to the point. It always does devolve to the point. Nihilism does this. You end up where only you can be right. And even the person inside your faith community, not just your denomination, but your church, even the person sitting in the pew next to you becomes that enemy. Now we see this loud and clear in the professing Christians who are running for president. But now we're also seeing that that influence of politics, that polluting influence of politics, is impacting Christian universities and perhaps the church itself. And it's of great concern. In other words, I'm saying that I think Benjamin L. Corey is right, but I don't want to adopt his opinion as my opinion, because Walk the Earth is not really about walking through all of the detail in the book of Genesis and tying out the connection points between Christianity and Judaism, from which Christianity sprang, and Islam, from which from Judaism it sprang. All of those connections, not really the direction I want to go in. I, I struggle, actually, in some ways, with whether or not Walk the Earth is truly a religion-based podcast. It is in the sense that it's about me moving from one church home to another, and the questions related to that, and those questions are obviously religious. But I certainly don't want the show to devolve into some sort of denominational Bible study. No, it's easier for me to step back, get a perspective that's maybe 4,000, 5,000 feet up in the air, and ask the much bigger, broader question. Because that's what I think is missing here. The initial response that I put out there, and it's one of the things that's been on my mind since I knew this question was queued up, and I sort of had a sense that this, this event, this moment in history, was going to influence how I dealt with that question. I tried to step on it. I tried to just immediately put out what I thought was the definitive answer. And to be honest with you, if Wheaton College wasn't going through the steps today to fire Dr. Hawkins, I wouldn't care. I would have let it go. But instead, I got to re revert back to my original point of view, which again is different probably in many ways from what Benjamin L. Corey would describe as this solidly evangelical conservative position that certainly is a way of describing Dr. Hawkins' personal statement of faith. In other words, I'm a radical moderate. I'm a radical moderate in my politics, that's absolutely true. And perhaps I'm also a radical moderate within the church, that maybe I don't fit as squarely into a conservative worldview when it comes to the authority of Scripture as I think I do. I know I don't fit squarely into what we might call a, a Unitarian liberal worldview. I'm short of that. I'm somewhere in the middle again, I suppose. But for me, the question is simple. Is there more than one God? Yes or no? And if the answer to that question is no, there is not more than one God, 
then it is patently ridiculous for anyone to be arguing about whether or not Dr. Hawkins is right or wrong to say that Jews and Christians worship the same God. How could there be a different God for Jews and Christians to be worshiping? How could there be a different God for Jews and Muslims to be worshiping? And how could there be a different God for Muslims and Christians to be worshiping if Christians believe there is only one? In other words, if in order to get eventually to this question of whether it's okay for a Christian to celebrate certain religious holy days and events with believers of other faiths, before I can even get to that, I think I almost have to reset a little bit and answer a few questions that I think Jesus did his best to try to answer on numerous occasions throughout the Gospels. Whether there is more than one God, yes or no. And for me, the answer to that is an emphatic no. There's one God, in other words. Therefore, it is obviously true that Christians, Muslims, and Jews, that everyone within the realm of theism, everyone who answers no to the question of whether we are truly polytheistic, is worshiping the same God. Benjamin Corey, in that January article, goes into some really interesting explanations for why the church, uh, Wheaton College in particular, has reacted the way it did. And between that article and the one in December, I think he does a good job kind of wandering through some of the questions about what it means to be believers in one God. And I think that's really where I want to hang my hat here, is to say that when Jesus was asked the questions all those times, all those, all those years and years ago, he reaffirmed from the book of Deuteronomy what Moses is alleged to have passed down, that there is one God and you should love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and strength. Jesus added mind to it, and clearly he needed to, because we're having what I would almost describe as a, a logic or a math problem here. We're stumbling over the first moment. As Corey in his blog post talks about, it's okay for there to be a difference in our understanding. Then in other words, if you really had to live in a world where you've got to be right and other people have to be wrong, and of course I would say as soon as that's the way you're reaching out to others, you're making a mistake, but maybe I'll stop and get to that next time I answer a question on Walk the Earth. Because if our outreach to others is about thought control or a strong ideology, or controlling belief, or ostracizing people who have doubts and questions, or creating some sort of you know, uh, fundamentalism is the word for it, where there's only one right way to do anything. Well, then we've already got another problem. And that's kind of the, the way that some of the bloggers that I've read have taken it, is to say, it's okay for you to say that there's one God, and the Muslim understanding of that God is, is um, seriously flawed in really important ways. And that flawed understanding of God can, in the minds of some people within that very large faith, uh, do some very horrific things, which are not only violating the tenets of, of my religion, looking as an outsider in, but also violating the tenets of their faith from others within their religion who would say the same thing. But it's, a, it's not all tied up in one tidy little bow. Because just because my perception of who God is may be very different from my Jewish friends or my Muslim friends doesn't mean that we're worshiping three different gods. This notion that a Trinitarian God is how I understand the universe is true. Therefore, anyone who doesn't view a Trinitarian God has a flawed perception of God. Well, that's, that's a fair statement. And it could be an interesting conversation if it's done gently and with respect 
as St. Peter taught in his first letter, if it's done with uh, the notion of loving your neighbor as yourself, as Paul taught, and just reiterating Jesus, of course. Uh, so there is a way to have that conversation if you want to. But it's a seriously, seriously dangerous mistake to say that anyone who doesn't have my Trinitarian view of God doesn't just have a flawed perception of God, but is therefore worshiping a different God. And the first time I heard this talk was right in the aftermath of September 11th, 2001. It was, in fact, probably just a few days later, still in the month of September, when I heard it, I believe for the first time I heard it expressed by R.C. Sproul on what was at that time, from my experience, probably his radio show. This would have been way before I was aware of podcasts or perhaps even blogs. And I've talked a little bit in the last year or so about R.C. Sproul, and I've done so indirectly. But when I talk about some of the things that are really fatally flawed in the holiness movement, um, that's what I'm talking about. Sproul was speaking from that perspective, protecting and defending the holiness of God against the violence of these people who, at the very least, have a, had a flawed perception of their God. And Sproul had to take it to the extreme of drawing a line between my God and their God, that they could not be the same God because of how serious the divide was within what I might describe as a flawed perspective. And of course, he was trying to defend the holiness of God by keeping his God pure of all these violent intentions coming out of Islam. And of course, ignoring all the way or, or finding very creative rationalizations along the way to explain away and dismiss the violence of his Judeo-Christian God, because he was holding Christianity and Judaism together because it's kind of hard to keep a Bible with both Testaments in it if you don't do that. But once you hold the entirety of the Old Testament together with the New Testament, you have just as much violence you've got to explain away there. But somehow managed to rationalize that, but his motive was clear from the start. He is very focused on the concept of the holiness of God, and therefore he needed to protect at all costs the holiness of God. Now, as I've kind of said in the past, talking about, I believe, sexuality and Christianity, that God's holiness doesn't have to be protected. And if it did have to be protected, me as a mere mortal believer bring very little to the party. I am not in any way capable of windexing God and providing him that fresh brasso shine. Um, his holiness is beyond me in every conceivable way. And my ability to understand it is extremely limited. But you know what? My Jewish friends, even those who are very orthodox, have um, a limited ability to understand it as well. And you're not going to find a Muslim out there who, in my opinion, has anything more than a limited ability to understand God either. And that is where you get into, within the realm of theism, this notion that perhaps Dr. Hawkins was right all along, that we are all worshiping the same God. We just have very different perspectives, and perhaps that means that all of our perspectives are seriously flawed. Maybe it means one of us has a really good perspective and the other two are, are more flawed. But the notion that it is one God, and it's the same God, uh, to me, that's unassailable. Because the very first question in this flowchart, if we were to diagram it out, the very first question Jesus answered before he told us how to interact with our neighbors and what a neighbor meant in that parable of the Good Samaritan he first off reaffirmed, there is one God. So, 
My apologies to friends who are of more of a pagan perspective or genuinely polytheistic. I'm not trying to be dismissive of you. I'm having somewhat of an in-house conversation, I suppose, with this particular question. But for me, it's not the house of, of Protestant evangelical Christianity. And it's not even the house of Western Christianity. So I'm including Catholicism with Protestantism. And it's not even the house of Christianity itself where I'm roping in the rest of Eastern Orthodoxy and covering uh, that other branch that broke with uh, Catholicism long before the Protestants did. I'm going to call this house the house of theism, where I'm going beyond that notion of saying Judeo-Christian, and I'm going all the way to this idea of theism, because the one thing that I believe, and I think is unassailably true, is true of all theistic worldviews, is the belief that there is just one God. In fact, I would even say to someone who might suggest that there maybe there are actually multiple gods. Maybe you can interpret some of the things that Jesus said casually and deferentially in the Gospels are a notion that there are there perhaps are multiple gods. Or certainly there's multiple celestial beings like angels, right? But there's a necessary being at the forefront of all of it. And I'm not so arrogant as to presume that the God that I worship is the necessary being and all these other people who have different faith views, whether they be from a different theistic tradition like Judaism or Islam, or even a different Christian denomination, are not worshiping the one true God because they're falling short and only I, therefore, am actually worshiping the necessary being. Because the concept of necessary being is that originator that one from whom all other things have come. And I believe that Judaism and Christianity and Islam, if they share nothing else in common, share that in common. A notion that there is one necessary being, and we are all, based on the scriptures we've been handed and the experiences that we've had as faithful people, made an effort to worship that being. This makes it extraordinarily wrong for someone to come along and say that the other people who are worshiping that necessary being can't claim that and shouldn't claim that, and anyone who says that it's okay for them to claim that should be fired from their position in the church or their position in a Christian university is really somewhat outrageous. It's almost as if the two great commandments that Jesus has given us, one, to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and strength and mind, and the other, to love your neighbor as you love yourself, uh, probably have a problem that Jesus probably made a mistake there because Jesus in saying and asserting that there is one God and that God should be loved by his followers with all their heart and soul and strength and mind, Jesus left out all those other versions of God that don't count. Jesus didn't do enough, in other words, to draw a hard line and to sever those ties between the faith that would spring from his earthly walk and the Jewish heritage that he actually was fully a part of and completely embraced. Or at the very least, if we're going to put the Jews and the Christians together, as if this notion of, of a separate religion never happened, that Jesus didn't do enough to sever the ties between other future versions of theism that were to come. Because Jesus wasn't going to do that. Because Jesus, as somebody who perhaps understood the scriptures better than anyone in recorded human history, knew full well that the children of Abraham were going to separate and follow separate paths, but all along try their best to forge a relationship with the one God of the universe, with the necessary being. So I really struggle. I guess part of the reason I've 
derailed the question I intended to answer, for example, to spend time on this alone, is that I've really struggled with this notion that somebody who, by all accounts, has done very good work, and who, by all accounts, had her heart in the right place by taking the steps she did, should be um, persecuted by her employers in this manner. Look, this is not just a hypothetical question. At around the time that Dr. Hawkins was deciding that she was going to spend Advent, or the balance of Advent, wearing a hijab, and trying to diminish the distinctions that people were making, uh, the second-class citizenship that was being imposed, we were dealing with a wave of anti-Muslim hate crimes in this country. I posted on my uh, Walk the Earth Facebook page December 13th, which is right around the same time that Hawkins um, made her controversial statements, an article that said there had been 19 hate crimes against Muslims in the United States in just the past seven days from the point that that article was being posted. I don't know that it was written by Benjamin L. Corey. I don't think it was, but he's the one who shared it. It came from usuncut.com. And I think we've seen that. And her intention was to try to stop that violence by saying that there's nothing wrong with people who wear different clothing, who come from a different religious tradition, who have come to this country uh, to escape violence. You know, the other thing is the whole um, Syrian refugee problem. You know, I would like the Machiavellian people in my society to do a better job understanding the principles of Machiavelli. You know, if we have this notion, perhaps, that the enemy of my enemy is my friend, then who could be a better friend to us than the people who are such enemies of the ISIS group that is you know, sweeping through the chaos left behind by the execution, if you, for want of a better word, of Iraq war in particular, of the war started by Bush and Cheney and carried forward far too long by Obama. Those people who are fleeing that are definitely the enemy of ISIS and therefore the enemy of my enemy. And yet we have a hard time, for whatever reason, seeing them as friends. So let me evoke a couple of memories that I'll come back to hopefully later this year on Walk the Earth to talk about the notion of interfaith ministries crossing the aisle, not just between denominations, but between actual entire religious belief systems. Because in my experience, it might actually include interfaith ministry between theists and polytheists as well. But just to lay the groundwork of what my experience has been, when I was a kid, literally, probably 10, 12 years old at the most, in the 1970s. My parents were one of, I think, several sponsors of a couple of families that were refugees coming to America from the war in Vietnam. And we would do, among other things, helping them find a place to live, uh, pay their bills, understanding how things like gas and electric worked, all that other sort of stuff. But part of the main thing that we did through our church, with uh, one family in particular, was share common holiday celebrations. So there was a time when at Thanksgiving we included them, and there was another time when at a particular time of the year that was culturally important to them from their experiences in Vietnam, we would go over to their apartment and celebrate those holidays and events with them. So in other words, I have no problem celebrating culturally with people whose culture is very different, especially if that's part of a genuine, loving Christian outreach. The other thing, and maybe the first time that I was actually called as an adult, as, as a, a grown-up, to participate in a leadership role within my church 
was when we lived in the uh, in the middle part of the country, and they're very ordinary. Uh, I would say uh, middle line, uh, not overtly evangelical, not overtly conservative or liberal, just mainline Protestant, you know, denomination. The United Methodist Church I went to had signed us up to participate in something that I think was actually called interfaith ministries. In this city with at least 300,000 people in it, had a variety of faith traditions, more than I even knew, as a matter of fact. And we would get together every other month, give or take. It wasn't just quarterly, but it wasn't every month either, I don't think. And have a program, a presentation, sometimes share a meal, but actually do a lot of, spend a lot of time sharing our own faith experiences. And that included not just people who were um, the obvious choice of Judaism and Islam, but also Baha'i, Buddhists. Uh, I think that if that city suddenly got a very uh, strong Hindu population, they would have been included as well. Just as a way of reaching across the aisle and providing an open dialogue of saying, this is my beliefs, this is my experience, this is my faith, what about yours? And when you look between the lines of what's going on here, especially in this Wheaton College situation that I've spent most of the show talking about, I don't know if even that would be acceptable in the minds of people who really desperately want Dr. Hawkins to be fired, who want her to have to pay some penalty for being generous and open-minded, for seeking, above all else, to protect people who are innocent and not terrorists from being the victim of violence because they look like people that we think of as dangerous or terrorists. Um, I don't know if that interfaith ministries thing would shake out either because it seems to me that the dominant strain of conservative American Christianity today, at least that the religious right at the very least, is that there'd be no point in having a conversation with a Buddhist and somebody from a Baha'i temple if you had no intention of persuading them to change, that if it's just dialogue, if it's just learning, if it's just being generous and caring, if it's just making sure those people are safe, not the victim of, of unfair zoning laws or vandalism, violence, and other forms of persecution, that if you weren't trying to win, if it wasn't an I'm right, you're wrong conversation, they might not have the conversation at all. That's wrong enough that I think on a future episode of Walk the Earth, I'll come back to the question, maybe in the context of saying, what if it wasn't just getting together in a completely neutral environment to share fellowship and to share our experiences and our, our faith journey? What if it was observing Lent, even though you're not a Christian, or uh, taking Seder, even if you're not Jewish, or observing the fasting rituals of Ramadan at the time of Ramadan? even if you're not Muslim. At the time I first conceived of this question, months and months ago, it didn't seem anywhere near as controversial as it seems now. However, it seems controversial now, particularly from people who, if asked the question of whether there is more than one God, would have to say, despite being evangelical Christians, that they think the answer to that question is yes, that there must be more than one God, because all those people are worshiping a different God than I am, and their God is less important than mine. That is more wrong than I'm going to have the ability to talk about in a single show. So for the first time ever, I know already, there's going to be an echo of a question partly answered that in a future walk the earth is likely to get answered again. If and as you are led, please join me in prayer. Lord Jesus, 
I confess to you that there are so many things I do not understand. And I, I need to strive to make sure that I'm not so arrogant that I pretend to know things that I don't. In my limited understanding, Lord, I believe that you are the source of all things, the creator of the universe, the necessary being, and that you are misunderstood by almost everyone, and that the stories told about you, even in our scriptures, outline that you have been misunderstood by almost everyone. And it just saddens me incredibly, Lord, to think that 2,000 plus years later, we're no smarter than we used to be. And that maybe the people 2,000 years ago had a real advantage because they were looking you in the eye, Jesus, and hearing your very voice in their ears in a way that the Holy Spirit perhaps is an echo at best. I don't know, but I would hope that we would at least be able to recognize that if we believe in you as God, and if we believe that there is just one God, that we wouldn't use that as an excuse to perform acts of violence against other people. We wouldn't use that as an excuse to persecute people who stand up and say, we should not be performing acts of violence against those other people. Because Lord, if there's nothing else that I've learned from my worship and experience with you, it's that if I'm using my relationship with you to hurt others, then I don't understand the first thing about who you are, who I am, and who you expect me to be. Lord, help me to be an instrument of your peace, to play a different melody that can be heard by the kinds of people who say they love you more than anything else. But maybe, maybe, Jesus, what they mean by that is they hate other people and find you to be a particularly incisive instrument. Please forgive us. Amen. What happened this morning, man, I agree, it was peculiar. But water into wine, I... All shapes and sizes, Vincent. You shouldn't talk to me that way, man. If my answers frighten you, Vincent, then you should cease asking scary questions. Next on Walk the Earth, whether modern evangelical outreach has become an inoculation against the Holy Spirit. Thanks for listening.